Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inside Voice with Martha's Mind, the podcast that talks about mental health, neurodivergency, and life and how it all gets mixed up in between. Today, I'm so excited to introduce my first guest on the podcast. The lovely Bethan was beautifully welcomed into the studio, and I really hope that she enjoyed and felt comfortable in this space. We talk about ADHD, we talk about her diagnosis, and we talk about the hardship sometimes it can be being a female with neurodivergency. I'm so thankful that Beth wanted to talk about her recent diagnosis. It isn't easy, but actually it's really hard to open up about your neurodivergency. You're so aware of how different you can come across. You're so aware that you do look at the world so differently. But nevertheless, it's so important to have these voices to talk. So again, thank you, Bethan, so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode and let's get into it. Quick question, what have you had for breakfast today? Oh my God, I had a raisin and cinnamon, uh, not donut, bagel. I know, I saw them in the kitchen and I was like, yeah, I've not had one of them in ages. And it was great, but then I felt like massive slump afterwards and I was sat in a client call like that trying to keep my eyes open. And then I was fine after an hour. <laughs> oh, I love that. So today with me in Inside Voice, I'm joined by the lovely Bethan. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it because, yeah, I'm going to be asking you to talk about your journey and why you're here. And I know it's not easy to always talk about mental health and neurodivergency. So I really appreciate your openness today. You're more than welcome. For people that don't know, won't know, um, tell me a little bit about yourself and why you're here. I was diagnosed with ADHD last year and um, that was really kind of a crescendo moment of the the prior three years piecing together the narrative um you know I'd kind of started to think oh it could this be me um and I slowly was building evidence you know whether that was what was happening at the time or reflecting on my life uh, even before then um and slowly building that that kind of story which you know I'll, I'll get into in a bit more detail I'm sure um but yeah resulted in me um, getting a diagnosis privately, um, which I, kind of brings me on to how I like met you for the first time or saw you for the first time. So on that day that I was diagnosed, um, I went to an open mic night, which was storytelling, and you were telling your story um, about you know autism and the way in which it made you feel uh, throughout your life. And my friend who was sat next to me uh, just reached over and grabbed my hand because she just knew that everything resonated. So even though uh, naturally the, the neurodivergence is, is different in terms of a condition, um, the experience was still very, you know, kind of uh, relatable so oh, yeah that's so nice I'm so pleased that like on that day I wasn't just talking to a room full of people who just didn't get it because <laughs> there's quite a few people who thought surely one person will understand <laughs> hopefully so I'm so pleased you saw me that day because I was nervous as hell oh, really? part of me was like I don't know if I want to do this I was very close to dropping out really? I'm quite known as being a, a flaky person so <laughs> I was very close to being like I don't want to do this I'm scared oh I'm so glad you did oh me too me too <laughs> So 
prior to getting diagnosed, you know, on that day, what was kind of the lead up for it? You know, has it been over a long amount of time you've started feeling more ADHD? (laughs) Yeah, something wasn't off or is it was it more like a pinnacle day? Yeah, what was sort of the turning point? I think I've always felt like I was out of pace. Um, I know there's lots of different kind of ways that people describe it. I think the go-to metaphor that I use is that I'm riding a bike in a race with other people and I have my resistance turned up really high, but I don't know. And I'm really confused as to why I can't keep up or I can keep up, but it's taking me so much more effort and resource to keep up and get over the finish line than it is other people. And I never really understood. I just thought it was because, you know, in this metaphor, I, I had shit fitness, for instance, when actually there are, there were so many other reasons as to, to what was wrong. Um, so yeah, I, I just definitely felt like very misunderstood, very out of pace with other people. Um, I've just felt very othered. So I think that has always been an experience for me. And I've always felt this kind of um, internal turbulence of, you know, why can't I be more like other people? Why can't I control uh, my emotions? Why do I feel out of control? And I just thought it was me. I I didn't think that there was a a reason other other than quite a negative one towards myself. Mm. Um, And so that was kind of the first indicator that I reflect on that's kind of long-term. Yeah. But then... Did anybody at any point sort of, like, would you confide in anybody and ask being like, oh, I do struggle with this, and would people brush it off, being like, oh, it's probably because of X, Y, and Z, or, or... did you sort of like retain from telling anybody how you felt until you thought, mm, I'm going to do something about it? Yeah, I just thought I was weird. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was Fair. right. <laughs> I was going to say, bingo. <laughs> yeah. And it, like, I, I just thought I was a bit like, I knew I was different, yeah. but I, I think the only time I ever really reached out was more in moments of crisis when I was really struggling with my mental health so like a lot of people with neuro you know like a neurodivergent condition um I yeah had really bad kind of stints of depression and anxiety and the only time that I felt compelled to reach out was within the framework of I need help so not really I wouldn't say I really had the um the language or the you know the tools to to know to seek support and to communicate what support I even needed. Mm, yeah, that is so true. Because I guess if you're not around people who might feel the same as you, it might be like, oh, I don't know where to turn. Because like, no one, I can't use anybody else's journey as like a guideline, especially mm-hmm. if like maybe your friends are neurotypical or your parents mm. are like neurotypical that it's really hard to just find people being like oh I can't seek anybody's advice of like if this is normal am I just being weird but it's like normal weird you yeah. know in quotation marks like so yeah it must be hard just sort of like figuring out on your own thinking mm. Mm, this feels off yeah because especially because when you're younger as well you only go by the reference points that you know and if I, I didn't have a reference point for ADHD, I didn't have a reference point for ADHD in women. And, you know, that whole stereotype of like naughty boys jumping on a table or like kicking things over, 
that wasn't me. So it never, it didn't cross my mind until a few years ago that that was even a viable possibility. Um, and that maybe it wasn't depression and anxiety, that the depression and anxiety were, were more symptoms of a root cause rather than the cause itself. So, yeah, I think it was only in the, the latter years, I'd say the last, I'd say around COVID time onwards, that, you know, there was this big explosion of awareness of neurodivergence on, you know, platforms like TikTok and, and just social media generally. And I think my worry was an explosion of awareness means lots of, uh, you know, in quotation marks, labels. Mm. And I think especially when it's something that impacts a young population, there's always a level of cynicism around it of, oh, you know, is it, you know, everyone's got it nowadays. And, you know, is it just a trend or a label or something that almost becomes a colloquial piece of language rather than a genuine human experience? It's so true. I mean, it's one of the great things about social media that everyone does talk about a lot of different subjects that don't often get like highlighted or pinpointed mm -hmm. out but at the same time with so many people talking about especially ADHD in particular and also I don't know ADHD like a lot of people do I think maybe even since the pandemic maybe a lot of people lost that sense of concentration or the sense mm -hmm. of like sticking to a task but of course yeah. there's like ADHD level mm -hmm. versus like kind of a society we're now just slowly growing into mm -hmm. you know I think we are losing attention spans like we just are because how technology is made how like society is being built we just are but mm -hmm. as you say there's a level of like oh, this is debilitating on my life versus uh, like losing focus on a task that I don't really care about anyway. Yeah. And I think it's trying to understand like for you, it was like debilitating because it was bringing you into like other symptomatic areas of like depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And they're obviously like bringing down your quality of like everyday living. Yeah. So it's very hard and social media doesn't talk about that side of it. They talk about, let's just talk about the, the fun things about ADHD which is like losing concentration or yeah. being a bit wacky definitely and that that is only a you know a, a certain cluster of, of symptoms as well and yeah. um I think my my particular point of view or the thing that I like to advocate for with ADHD is seeing it as a holistic health condition you yes know? big yes <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving the support <laughs> Well, for me, this is like a light bulb moment of like, that makes so much sense. And I've never heard anybody say it like that, really? where it's more about health rather than, I don't say mental issues, because it's not a mental issue, but mm. it is obviously like something that happens within the mind rather than like physically being seen. Mm. But it is something that is managed with like health attributes. Yeah. So completely. yeah, honestly, when you yeah. said it, I was like, yes, yeah, <laughs> this makes sense. Oh, do you know, I'm so glad it resonated because... Mm. Yeah, like I think as society, we see we see uh, manifestations of ADHD in a way in which it inconveniences uh, social codes. So, for instance, if I, if uh, a culture acts in a, in a certain way and someone rebels from that because of their ADHD symptoms, that's seen as an inconvenience or a burden. So then it gets put down as a, a behavioural issue. And yes, there are obviously behavioural components to it, but there are so many other 
uh, debilitating consequences of ADHD in terms of um, the impact on your mental health, the impact on your emotional health and your physical health. Because if you are acting with certain habits and behaviors, then that will either help or hinder how you look after yourself, your ability to, you know, exercise or eat healthily, you know, all of these things that are lifestyle, but then also um, like a layer back from that, which I think we will find more and more out about um, over the years is the role of dopamine as well in our kind of physiology, like physiology, physiology, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, people see dopamine as a happy, you know, this happy hormone. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of colloquial expressions about like chasing a dopamine hit, you know, all of this. Yes, um, I mean, I, I said, like, I always choose now like things that when I look at or are aware, they like give me an instant like bit of joy. Yeah, And it's almost like, I don't know if this is related to um, ADHD, but there's this term autistic joy mm -hmm. where it's that bold rush of like extreme joy for very random things. Mm -hmm. But it is that great surge of like dopamine high where the, and that could be something like looking at a piece of clothing and thinking, oh, I love it. This is making me so happy. Or it could be like having that cup of coffee in the morning mm -hmm. or it could be like decorating your house in certain colors or certain styles that just make you get that rush of dopamine for whatever reason but it's just literally for living in a particular way that just for whatever reason your uh, neurodivergent brain is like oh yeah. I'm so happy I'm so happy and yeah. then it comes crashing down you're like oh, <laughs> oh great. Like, yeah. great that didn't last long <laughs> well I think I think people with like neurodivergence are very like sensory stimulated people aren't we and mm. you know it, it like I know for my situation I got in a heated discussion with my sister at the weekend because I'm trying to sign up for a gym and I want a really nice gym. And she was like, just sign up for a bloody, you know, gym near you. And I was like, no, it has to be a nice environment because otherwise I won't use it. And people think I'm just being a bit precious. But actually, if I don't like the environment, I won't go. So it's like absolutely redundant. Yes. So yeah, I was looking for like quite nice bougie gyms. Yeah. And I imagine with the ADHD, you and research and finding the particular the particular gym with this amount of walking distance between this amount of like, I don't know, like price and then I don't know, finding the right equipment, has it got a pool or a sauna? Mm. Like I just know that ADHD is so good with research skills. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I would definitely agree with that. I think I had a conversation with my boss very recently about um, how if, if you do have ADHD, you are so well suited to work in um, like a creative industry like I do, like advertising, especially my, my job role is as a strategist. So I do a lot of research. So it feels like such a good fit where I can really lean into my personality and like some of the the gifts that come along with having ADHD yes. like the fixation on a topic and just being able to really not even just research it but bring lots of creative ideas to the table in where to look next how to take it from research into action you know all of those things yes yeah, yeah. it's interesting you said obviously about your sister mm -hmm. and like she obviously understands you and, and how you are because now especially because you are you know, officially diagnosed and I know labels have their place for a lot of people, um, don't have a place for a lot of people. It, it, everyone's kind of got their own feelings on a label. But does it help now having an official term with you and people managing how you are and understanding like this is how you are. And if you're looking for a particular gym and you don't want to just 
settle on the closest one you want to find the right one are people a bit more lenient with your behaviors and and your Mm -hmm. ways because of being diagnosed now yeah I think it acts as context and a blueprint rather than an excuse and I think that is something that's really important to me to advocate for because ultimately there is this stigma that's you know everyone just wants a label and all of this but actually there is this huge sense of meaning that you extract from having a diagnosis that allows you to take a step back and to take stock of your life and to figure out what the blueprint is for this thing to work with it rather than against it and to add context to an insight into why someone might act the way that they do. Because if we understand why people act a certain way, we can know how to get the best out of them. And if we do need behavior change out of them, we know how to appeal to them to maybe kind of nudge them in the right direction as well. Yes, yes, definitely. I think I think labels are helpful because I, I think, as you said, like it gives you, yes, an umbrella term, like, you know, ADHD, it covers so many different kinds of symptoms and how people present. Mm-hmm. Um, same with autism, like there is a spectrum and everybody knows there's a spectrum and yet we use one word to label so many people (laughs) same with ADHD talking to somebody who is female as well who is neurodivergent which we're very rare breeds and Mm. we're you know we're not easily as seen maybe um especially maybe online or even in um like medical journals you know girls are just so not really there are we (laughs) but how how did it feel sort of being female with ADHD and like trying to tell people like this is how I am have you ever felt like oh it's people don't necessarily believe you or they think oh you're just leaning into that label too much and actually you're just I don't know have you ever had like criticism or not been like well received because you are a female it's yeah it's making me reflect on the fact that prior to a diagnosis I got all of the stereotypical labels so it's almost like I've swapped some labels for another. Like I was always called a drama queen. I was always oh. called called an attention seeker, over dramatic, sensitive, oversensitive. You know, whatever it is, I felt like I, I grappled with those labels, and it was almost like I took all of those tokens and exchanged it for the one label that was ADHD. Yeah. And I think that even though since I've been diagnosed, I've not picked up on any um, unequal language, let's say, but it makes me reflect on the labels that I had before my diagnosis where people were like, oh, she's just being a drama queen or she's just being oversensitive, when actually that should have been an indicator that I was really struggling to emotionally regulate what was happening inside. And that for me is probably one of the areas where I felt let down by society the most because I felt like I was crying out for help and that, you know, to be out of control of your emotions isn't, I don't know, it's it's quite difficult. It feels difficult when it's quite scary and, you know, hearing people just be like, oh, she's a bit of a psycho or, Mm. you know, all the really negative stereotypes. Yes, and always associated to females. As you say, like you never... You never hear a boy being attention seeker, mm. not really, or like, um, or a drama queen, not really. <laughs> exactly. Like, they're the class clown. Like, that's mm. what a boy is in like 
in the school terms, like that's what they are. ADHD in boys sometimes can be used as like a positive thing. It's like, I'm really ADHD and I'm a bit wacky. And I'm like, Mm. oh, why is that a positive for you? But if like a girl is ADHD, it's like, oh, like, as you say, really sensitive or... Mm. It's like too much, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I too, much, yeah. too much, too much. Boys are never too much. They yeah. are just right. They yeah. are just right all the time. And I don't know. It, as I say, I never want to. I never always want to be like, oh, girls have it harder. But I think <laughs> it's just in neurodivergent terms. It's still like a really great area where like we're just not really we're not really seen as much. Or mm-hmm. again, I think because we are very good at like managing uh symptoms symptoms doesn't feel like the right word but for want of a better word presentation presentations yes yeah (laughs) I think we're just still not really I don't know given a lot of grace sometimes when we don't when we don't have a good day you know oh yeah and we're yeah we're all a bit all over the place it's like oh grow up (laughs) yeah grow up grow up yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) a little bit about the the actual diagnosis process for you because I this is one area where like I I don't know because I got diagnosed when I was very young so Mm -hmm. I don't even really remember it but for anybody that's like oh I don't even know how to go about it like how did you Mm -hmm. pick the person you wanted to diagnose yourself or how did how did the conversation even go or you know how what was the process like for you so um I started off in a primary care setting. So I had enough evidence to pursue the hypothesis, let's say. And that's the first thing I will say. So many people talk themselves out of pursuing a diagnosis because they go, oh, well, what if they tell me that I don't have it? I've never known anyone that's gone as far as pursuing things that has been told, no, Mm. like you don't have it. So the first port of call is having enough kind of confidence and evidence in your bank to approach a GP the GP kind of tried to talk me out of it she went it's not something that you just get one day Bethan you don't just wake up with it oh my gosh they said that yeah and that this person had been my doctor for years and she had so much evidence of my mental health kind of battles and it was fascinating to see that I'd put you know join the dots but they were still like so far off the mark uh, Mm. from that initial conversation And I really had to advocate for myself. Like the first thing I would say is self-advocacy is absolutely crucial. Mm. Being able to go, I'm, I'm, you know, not feeling right. And these are the reasons why. And I am at least worth a shot of, you know, referral. So um, I did a, a GP, like primary care screening, which came back with, you are eligible for referral. Um, and then naturally figured out that the waiting lists were very, very, very long, yes. um, which is, you know, very disheartening. Uh, so many people slip through the net um, because of those long waiting times. So I sat with it for a, a few weeks and I just remember I was I was going through quite a, a tough time um, due to kind of external factors that were influencing that. Mm. And I just spoke to a family member and said, if this is the monotony of how my daily life is going to be, something really needs to change because I'm really kind of miserable. So um was lucky enough that I could pursue going private and I know that I'm in a very privileged position to be able to do that. What I would say is that if anyone has the option to go private, it is the best investment that you can make in yourself. So I uh, pursued a private kind of supplier um, and I just basically did a bit of research online. I needed someone that was in my particular price, um, you know, range. And the 
you know, there's always pros and cons, especially when it's kind of online. Um, so I found someone that was reputable and credible. And yes, there were a few <laughs> bad reviews, but the types of reviews were things that I was willing to compromise on that didn't actually impact my standard of care that I would be receiving. So just kind of booked an appointment with them. They had availability within three days, which wow. I think just shows the, uh, you know, the fragmentation between private and, and public kind of waiting Massive, lists. especially for mental health issues. Like it's so disheartening because mentally you can wait, again, mm-hmm. in quotation marks, you could wait two years to get a diagnosis because technically you, you haven't got a leg chopped off. So you're yeah. not in actual physical pain, mm-hmm. but mentally you're going through like the turmoil of not knowing and that can have equal amounts of stress. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's insane that like people expect you to wait two years if you can't afford it. Yeah. So it is, it's amazing that you could actually have the clarity from, mm-hmm. you know, because you're in a, a great position where you can. Um, it's such an unfortunate position it's weighing up the pros and cons of like is the financial benefit Mm. gonna relieve me for sure and I think that for me when I was assessing the payoff and the almost like the business case of you know what I could gain from it the first thing is I with my ADHD before my ADHD was controlled I was wasting so much money because of it. it. We call it the ADHD tax. So, you know, forgetting about subscriptions, impulse buys, you know, whatever it was, like, you know, hemorrhaging a decent amount of money on things that I could have been, you know, redirecting. So when I was looking at front loading, you know, a cost to access private care, I was thinking about the money that I would be saving in the long run or be kind of re uh, redirecting from, you know, not having all of these stupid financial penalties that come along with having ADHD. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard of the ADHD tax, but it's oh, really? so true. It's so true. It's I can't remember. I heard someone talking about the ADHD kind of tax online, um, but then piecing it together with, right, well, I'm just, I'd rather... F- front end a load of money now you know that was how I kind of pitched it to myself but then the other the other component of this is you know once I was diagnosed and I had that moment of relief and the permission it gave me to let go of so many internal narratives and self-hate that I had built over years of feeling different feeling weird feeling like the outsider And the fact that I had an explanation for that and I let go of feeling like a burden for the first time in my life and that was difficult to love. You know, all these really horrible, heavy things to carry. I felt like all of those things dissolved and it has freed me up to kind of like step into my potential and to be happier, fundamentally happier as a person. Mm. And like my depression is really minimized and my anxiety has basically disappeared. And, you know, that is priceless. I was just about to say like, I know it's a cliche, but like you can't put money on that Mm. because your everyday happiness and like, and being like even like grounded, not having too many like, you know depression days or feeling really extreme anxiety and without going all all up and down all the time Mm -hmm. to be able to just feel grounded and constant and consistent is like I think when you go through it like when you're going through the real extreme extremities of emotions you just want anything to relieve it so I think yeah like I know it probably is a lot to upfront the cost but Mm -hmm. 
having days when you just feel consistently like you, mm. y- yeah, yeah, pay for it, <laughs> pay yeah. for it in the in the in the short term, but like long term, it just keeps giving, like giving back and back. Yeah, completely. And I know that there is a very very big caveat on that which is you know the ability and the resource to even be able to pay for it in the first place which is you know something that I I am just so grateful for and yeah like I'd, it's it's so difficult and there's a lot of I feel a lot of frustration for the fact that if I didn't have access to that and if there are so many people that don't that are delaying the opportunity to like to feel that sense of relief because they are going to have to wait another year and a half, two years, however long it is to, to have some kind of resolution. And yeah, like it's, it just, it fucking sucks. It's so shit. Yeah. One thing I would ask is, so when you got the diagnosis and, and the person who saw you was like, right, you've got ADHD. Obviously it's not just like a see you never. Um, it's like a, right, now we can help you. ADHD people get medication, which is really great for managing your symptoms. Cause as I say, when, when they're probably in the lowest of lows, it's probably like really unmanageable. Mm. Um, how did you feel about going on medication? Were you like, get me in, get me, get me, get me those it. pills. Or were you like a bit more hesitant? Had you done your own research prior to the diagnosis that you thought, okay, if I, I want to be put on these particular ones, like had you, yeah, what was your feelings on it? It's so, it's a really good question. Um, my personal opinion. So I work in pharmaceuticals. I am all for people taking medication. For some reason, I had my own internal judgment on myself for and worries, let's say, uh, and barriers. I thought that it would change me fundamentally as a person. I was worried about what if, you know, my personality changes. I I was scared about who I would be on the other side of it. And, you know, that, that did scare me at first. And then I just thought, you know what, I can just try it. It's, it's something that you can feel the day you take it. So if I didn't, react well to it I just didn't have to take it again and everything would be okay (laughs) interestingly I took it and the first message that I sent to my friend was oh my god is this what it's like to feel calm and my friend just said like I think she said welcome home or something I know that's so adorable I know that's really lovely yeah it does actually make me a bit emotional thinking about it but you know, that the change for me has been night and day. And it's not just medication, it's it's the bandwidth that you then have to reassess things and to run into the direction of the things that serve you, whether that is being around people that can celebrate and support you and fundamentally understand you, whether it's, you know, working environments or hobbies, whatever it is, it allowed me to just, like... Uh, trim the fat off things that weren't serving me and be really lean and intentional in where I show up and I, I've I've seen the reward for that so I think it's definitely fascinating to think about if the person I am now met the person I was in my mid-20s or in my teens or even as like a six-year-old that was so confused I think they would be in awe of the progress and the progress that happened in such a short amount of time from initiating medication as well you know it it felt like night and day pretty quickly which is for me it was the right thing Mm. yeah I mean it's so nice to hear that like 
as you say, from a short amount of time, your quality of life improved, but it, you didn't change. Like mm-hmm. you're still, you're still the essence of Bethan. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> All the good aspects, though, like, as you say, you're still quirky, you're still Mm. you, but it's all manageable and it's not like impacting your everyday mental stability. And that's really important because as I say, you don't want to wake up and feel zombie or feel numb, Mm. which antidepressants can do. ADHD medication, I guess they've done the science. They they know how to fine tune it. So Mm -hmm. you feel like you, but just a bit more in control yeah (laughs) yeah it's like it's like not knowing that you had a visual impairment and then getting glasses for the first time or contact lenses and being like oh my god like I thought I could see before this and then you know like once again I know I've said this earlier in this kind of you know conversation but you only have the point of reference that you know So beforehand, I was like, yeah, I mean, I've managed this far. And, you know, on the surface, people were like, but you've got your shit together. How do you have ADHD? Actually, that's probably a stereotype. Mm. How do you have ADHD when you've got your shit together? And it's like, yeah, I can keep up. But, oh, my God, am I exhausted? And the what goes on behind the scenes in terms of engineering a routine making sure everything is meticulous the standard that I hold myself to I feel like I've freed up a lot of mental bandwidth and energy which I think I can then just redirect on being present and uh, pursuing like creative uh, endeavors or just like I don't know just being like enjoying things a bit more that for me has been really important yeah valuable no that is good that is so good I guess like the last thing on that question is like obviously we've seen the ADHD medication shortages Mm -hmm. and which you you obviously know a lot about being in the pharmaceutical industry Mm -hmm. um it's interesting that media or at least it doesn't feel like the media are sort of saying that, oh, this feels like an issue. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately you, you've seen it from being not on medication before to being on medication, how much it's changed your life. Has it, is it something that you're like concerned about, like running out of meds one day? Mm-hmm. Or do you worry that with more people getting a diagnosis now, like more people are getting diagnosis because they are finding that actually like life shouldn't be this tough like it just shouldn't be and it's it's something that people are coming to realization which is good but will we run out of medication I'm asking as if you'll know but like it does scare me um I think I can be I can be sympathetic to the business model of pharmaceutical companies and why supply and supply chain issues happen you know they happen globally across lots of different medications but it doesn't make it okay (laughs) and you know there needs to be a sense of urgency around the way we talk about it it can't just be spotlighting a voice and say that person saying it's really important we need you know we need to be thinking of a solution together and holistically because ultimately supply chain issues and you know demand that outweighs supply doesn't really benefit anyone like especially as a pharma company thinking from a business perspective if you can sort those issues out and your competitors can't you know that gives you a really good kind of advantage if you can you know talk about being the reliable product so you know from the the companies all the way through to the end user it really does benefit everyone to be able to 
um, stay in stock. <laughs> and yes. yeah, it is, a, it is a worry. I think when you experience stability and you are really like proud of that stability and it's really valuable, the fear of losing it is really, really real. Of course, absolutely. Because as you say, you've, I don't want to say, but you've got your glasses on now. Yeah. And like if someone was to take away saying, no, you can't see, vi- you can't have your clear vision now for a couple of weeks. You're like, oh, but I don't know, it's now going to disrupt something that was going so well. And as I say, like you're keeping even and ultimately like neurodivergency does impact your mental health. And as I say, if you start going down those like depression spirals mm-hmm. or the anxiety spirals, then sometimes it's really hard to like, climb back up again mm-hmm. um especially without the medication so yeah it is weird how media like if we if we were running out of paracetamol oh my god I, we'd be we'd be absolutely raging as a society we'd yeah. be like what exactly you know for something that i take every day for a headache mm. how am i gonna survive and you're like right <laughs> just being adhd's heads and understand their trials and tribulations of shortages on yeah. medication completely and i think it comes back to to what we were saying a bit earlier in terms of seeing it as a health you know some something that is a health concern to be uncontrolled if that for that individual is deemed as a, an you know an issue it is it is only right that that person should have control of their condition and, you know, have an improved quality of life off the back of that. So we're not just talking about, um, you know, having a bit more of a frantic day at work or forgetting your keys in the morning and not knowing where they are, which I've done many, many, many times. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about people, like their quality of life deteriorating and massively decreasing as a result of that lack of control and that for me is concerning for my own kind of standards but yeah I'm I'm seeing a few other people talking about that and really fighting to to get on that public platform to make people take it seriously definitely it really does need a much more voice into it because yeah there just isn't just isn't really enough said about it it's like a little Mm. tiny article in like a in like a massive like news story about something else and like Mm. we're not focusing on the actual issue here yeah yeah oh well the last thing to do before we end the episode (laughs) it is self-reflection question time which is my favorite part of the episode i love i love a self-reflection question so i'm going to ask you to pick a number between 110 and then that will give you a question Okay, I'm going to go for seven. Seven's my lucky number. Yeah, I don't know why. I just love a seven. I think David Beckham's number on his old t-shirts for seven. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Beckham fan. Love it. For me, it feels like it's an even odd number and I can't explain what that means, but I just know it's an even odd number. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I I have feelings about numbers. Yeah. Like even like, for instance, like three is also another number that I mm. love because it fits like weirdly, but correctly, if that yeah. makes sense. Like it has a... <laughs> has a weird fit but it does work yeah i I completely get you i hate four four is obnoxious to me and i don't know why (laughs) i'm really odd with my numbers i just have feelings i'm glad i didn't pick number four yeah (laughs) i would have made you re-pick and be like not four (laughs) am i putting enough effort into my relationships Ooh. That's a good one. Throw some shade. No. Um, yep, he hasn't put in enough effort. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I I would say that historically, no. I feel like I have more ability to now. I think I'm putting 
more effort into relationships than I had the capacity to do uh, before. And interestingly, I had a conversation about kind of capacity to, you know, invest in things at the weekend uh, with someone. And, you know, I was beating myself up that I hadn't done X, Y, and Z. And they said, well, do you think five years ago you would have been able to do that? And I said, no, no chance. So I think more recently, you know, tying it in with the theme of what we're talking about, I I would be pretty proud of my investment in my relationships and my effort in my relationships, not just in terms of what I do on like, you know, performatively, but actually working to understand the other person on like a deeper level in terms of their context that they might be different from me. And that's a really good thing. And that there's space for you know differences so yeah I would I would say I'm putting in an effort (laughs) that's a great answer I love that and that's good for everyone who's like got a a friendship or relationship with you they're thinking yeah that's true or Or they're like excuse me (laughs) no she hasn't texted me in two weeks (laughs) you forgot my birthday last week (laughs) we're all guilty of that to be fair all guilty unless we've got a calendar yeah yeah. oh thank you again Bethan so much thank you for doing this again as well (laughs) thank you for having me again Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure, honestly. Your insight into ADHD is, I can't talk about it. And it's so nice to have someone talk about it so eloquently and so openly. And also from like a different perspective of like, you know, you're in, you're, you're in the pharmaceutical company, like, mm-hmm. you know, atmosphere. And you can see it from like that point of view. Because, yeah, ADHD being treated with meds is different to, you know, autism, which isn't. Um, different to stress, which isn't. Different to OCD, which I don't believe is treated with medication. I don't. I, do you know what? I have no idea. I, I don't. That, that is the interesting, you know, element with ADHD. It's like you can you can go down that route. Mm. And, I, you know, I have friends that are kind of on the autistic spectrum as well. And it's so interesting hearing, like comparing and contrasting the experiences, you know, within the framework of medication. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love it. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you.